So, Peter O'Connor, welcome to Full Casting Crew. Thank you, Jason. So happy to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Peter's an actor. Yes, he is. I've seen you in two plays. Uh, very few people I've seen in more than one play in my life. You're, you're one of them. <laughs> How does that go over? Does it does that bespeak your feelings about theater deep Not down? Not at all. Okay. Although, if you ask my wife, That's who directed saying. both of the plays I saw you in, she would probably say that it does bespeak my attitude towards theater. But luckily, the two things I saw you in were excellent, and you were excellent in them. You're a very good actor. You've been on TV shows. You've been in movies. You were recently in Hustlers. That's true. But when I asked you what your defining movie was... You said? The Outsiders. Francis Ford Coppola and S.E. Hinton's The Outsiders. Which I I just laughed because knowing you, I was like, of course, like, get the a leather jacket and some hair grease and you were all in. Yes. So how did you encounter this film? Tell me a little bit, first of all, about your, your upbringing, how you grew up. 28 miles directly west of us, a uh, multi-everything suburb of New Jersey, uh, probably middle class to upper middle class uh, ascendant. My dad was in construction, and they didn't know what getting HBO was going to mean. For the, for the children? For the children. And how many siblings did you have? I have one of each. Very lucky. I have a uh, younger sister, an Irish twin, uh, 18 months younger, and I have an older brother, uh, three years older, So with whom I... With whom I um, I want to say confronted the outsiders. I was trying to figure out last night, maybe I was nine, 10. I was fuck, freaking young. Okay. Pretty young. So sort of an older sibling introduction to this movie. That feels right. And did you see it on cable? Yes. And in privacy. You know, the thing that my point was that my parents didn't know we were watching. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a, what, what is it rated? It's, it's not PG. A, it's probably PG. Yeah. So that's fair, I guess. But we watch other stuff, too. <laughs> yeah, I was almost going to, like, my eight-year-old was puttering around last night when I was watching this to get ready for the podcast. And I was like, is this? I couldn't remember. Is there anything in this? It actually, ironically, Grease is more troublesome to watch with children than this. Sexually? Yeah, Grease has a lot of, like, rapey, jokey, rapey, trying jokey. to get over stuff on women that oh, doesn't really? really stand quite well this day and Test, age. Testo time. I guess for me last night rewatching, it was more that how, how sad it is, how sad it is at the end. It is sad. That's really the thing. And well, that's, so, what you gotta, that's what you got to do. So you were 9, 10. I saw this in the theaters in 1983 when I was, I think, 13, 14 years old, right in the Sweet Spot demo. Well, I should say the original Sweet Spot demo is probably if you're a 13 or 14-year-old girl. This movie is engineered for you. Right, right. Uh, as my wife Amanda said, I said, what is it that you like about this movie? And she said, all those cute, cute boys. I had a crush on every one of them. Not my personal experience of the movie. Maybe it was yours. I don't know. Right. No. I w- one cute, cute redhead. But did feel Diane Lane, gorgeous. Yeah. But- for us and for me, I mean, what I plugged into is that that sense of just how heavy you think life is as a 13 or 14 or a 9 or a 10-year-old boy. I have a question. Do you think this film is a melodrama? That's a question I have for you, to your point. Yes, okay. definitely. Good. I mean, Good. yeah, it's over the top uh, in its emotional pitch and tone. It's operatic. Coppola had a good quote, actually. and He, he said that it was originally conceived as Gone with the Wind for teenagers. Perfect. And that really is the sort of emotional tenor of the movie. Right. It's overwrought. It's everything is so heartfelt. I mean, it's that, you know, so what did you respond to when you saw it? Let's start with the coolness. I mean, I mean, Dally, you know. What's going on, Dale? We're early. What do you want to do? Nothing legal, man. Let's get out of here. 
Matt Dillon. Yeah, D- Dally and Johnny, I think, were the who I interesting was most focused on. I was thinking, well, why not Pony Boy? Pony Boy, the leading madness of it, that it's almost like he's you're you're him more than you realize as you're taking yourself through the story. Sure. When I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind. Paul Newman and a ride home. This is Ames, mister. But Johnny and Dally, yeah. I think yeah. for for boys, for men watching it, there's obviously, like, there's so many male characters that there's somebody that you can see yourself in if you're a sort of rambunctious wise-ass, you're going to be the Emilio Estevez character. Right. I don't know who would be the Tom Cruise character. He's the one person I feel is a little bit miscast in this movie. I don't know if you felt that way. Huh, no, I felt that that was an early example of him getting to do what he may have been capable of doing more of later had he not been so movie starred and then really? stre- streamlined down the line. Yeah. Hmm. I think he does a great job in it. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I th- Once you get rid of the idea that, that it's Tom Cruise and you just watch this guy, the accent is he nails, he's kind of weird. I like it. <laughs> I wouldn't have believed if I didn't see that in a paper. Oh. I didn't hey, tell me, pony boy, what's it like being a hero, huh? Or what? A hero, man, you know, like a, like a big shot even. Beer for breakfast every two bit? He doesn't quite nail the Tulsa accent. But, I mean, one of the things you have to give the movie, everybody's 15, 16, 14, except for Patrick Swayze, who's great. He's 35, I think. No, he's (laughs) he's 29. (laughs) Was he? I think so. Oh, wow. 25 or 29. Uh, But everyone else is in their teens. And so it's, it's, it's asking a lot to have what I think we would expect in terms of nuanced performances in a film from people who are so young in their craft, except in a couple of instances where you have someone who's so fully himself in like a Matt Dillon, for example, is Mm -hmm. doing such a thing. Yeah. But even that, like, it's amazing what Coppola asks them to do and lets them do and lets be in the film and that you buy it because there's, as I watched it again last night, there's several examples of the boy, I'm doing quote marks of the boys like crying. Sure. There's no moisture anywhere to be found. Right. And they're, al- and, and they're allowed to kind of like go through that thing. And you know what? You're with it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're so into, or at least I'm with it. You're so into the, the, the circumstances that you kind of roll with it. Sure. Well, let's watch a little of the uh, famous scene from the drive-in where C. Thomas Howell, Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Diane Lane are uh, in the bleacher section of the drive-in, not in a vehicle. She has fled the vehicle of her Soch boyfriend. Right. Get your feet off my chair and shut your trap. Who's going to make me, huh? I'm going to get a coat. Who, your boyfriend? Leave her alone, Dal. That's a good one, just out of some jail or something. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say, honey. You better leave us alone or I'll call the cops. Oh, my, my. You got me scared to death. What am, what am I going to do now, Pony? Huh? This girl's making me shake. Don't you leave you, us alone. You Be nice s- and leave us alone. I'm never nice. Can I uh, interest you in a Coca-Cola or 7 Up? Get lost, Hood! She's with her friend who we never heard. Unfortunately, did we ever hear from her again? She's wonderful. We did. That's, She's great. Oh, I actually okay. have some info on her for oh, you. good. You know, so Michelle Mayrink is the actor who is... Diane Lane's best friend in the movie. Had a very brief career. She's, you know, doing the podcast. You look at a lot of IMDb pages, yeah. and you get to recognize there are certain, certain types of acting careers. She has a very specific one. She was active only for five years, 
and then got out of the business. Sure. Uh, but in her five years, first three movies, Outsiders, Valley Girl, Revenge of the Nerds, and then Real Genius, a movie <laughs> wow. we're all big fans of here on the podcast. Oh, hi. Good morning. I thought I saw you come in here. We met last night. Remember, I had the sled with me? I'm Jordan. Oh, here. I made your sweater. Last night? Yeah, it's just something I do with my hands. I hope I got the size right. I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, I have a brother, and I use him for a size in comparison. And I have a pretty good eye for that sort of thing, so I just went ahead and made you one because you know I was up. Are you peeing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I never sleep. I don't know why. I had a roommate, and I drove her nuts. I mean, really nuts. They had to take her away in an ambulance and everything. But she's okay now, but she had to transfer to an easier school. But I don't know if that had anything to do with being my fault. But listen, if you ever need to talk, you need help studying, just let me know, because I'm just a couple doors down from you guys, and I never sleep, okay? So she did have a little career and then got out of the business looks like lived happily ever after. Good so, for her. Good for her, right? Yeah. That's one way to do it. It's a wonderful way to do it. <laughs> Early, often done. And Diane Lane, I mean, incredible. Beautiful. She was, let me think how old she was here. I have this somewhere written down. So Matt Dillon was 17. Diane Lane was 16. Yeah. You mentioned Tom Cruise. This is the only film in 1983 in which he did not have a starring role. Because other films that came out in 83. Taps. Losing it. Football one. All the Right Moves. There it is. And Risky Business all came out in 1983. And this. Yeah. Now, here's something that's going to blow your mind. This was Tom Cruise's last supporting role in a film until Magnolia in 1999. Every film after that, he was the star of. Whoa. That's crazy. That is crazy. The majority of these people, I think, have managed to have fairly... Decent, cohesive lives and have worked pretty consistently. Number one, they're all alive. That's a good stat. As an actor yourself, what's the career aspiration? Now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and has it changed? Well, gosh, we're going to get deep in psychological now. I like the idea of consistent work, being known in the business, being able to work pretty much when you want, and being able to get a cup of coffee without anybody bothering you. Which I don't think is going to be an issue for me. This, I think I'm fine. I think I'm covered. Well, you never know. I mean, you, you know, you one roll away. You, you could know. be That's the next, uh, That's you know, true. late blooming Tom Cruise. That's true. That's true. Well, but I think you want to be more the character guy. You want to be the character actor. You want to be reliable, dependable. You want people mm-hmm. to like you on the set. Right. How much of that has to do with getting hired over the ability to do the work, do you think? Gosh, I, it seems the way it's going, the former is becoming more and more important. That mm-hmm. misbehavior in any form, even if it can be uh, ascribed mm-hmm. to one's method. Sure. Uh, if it messes with other people's Not job cool. at work, it probably is going to be God, less and less way. tolerated. Thank God. Well, I think there's a, well, I'll defend the actors, but I think there's a, I think carrying a wheel, if there's enough guys to haul the wheelchair for my left foot, that sort of, and, and some of the Christian Bale staying character in this and be shy of tearing that guy a new one sure the, the fuck are you doing are you professional or not yes i am do i fucking walk around and rip that no shut the fuck up bruce do i want no no don't shut me up am i gonna walk around and rip your fucking lights down in the middle of a scene then why the fuck are you walking right through uh, da, 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 like this in the background what the fuck is it with you it's not it's so hard. It's so difficult that that's what it takes for him to convince himself to do the thing, is my take. This set, uh, The Outsiders, if you read or watch anything about it, I mean, can you imagine a set filled with teenagers? Right. And Coppola famously imposed this really 
talk about having respect for the actors. Like, have you read about how they did the audition process? Like, it's got to be terrifying enough to go into a room with four or five or however many people. Like, if you're going in for a movie role, how many people are in the room? Anywhere from two to seven, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So what Coppola did with this was they rented a sound a sound stage. Right. I think in Tulsa, in Oklahoma, where the where it was filmed, and everybody, as Rob Lowe says, we walked into the studio, and every actor under the age of 35, I mean everyone, was lined up on the floor sitting against the wall and Francis was running the auditions and I'll never forget it. He had one of the first um, tape cameras that anybody had ever seen and he was playing opera. Every actor in Hollywood under 30 was there. Outside our readings, first is Ralph Macchio as Johnny. Vincent Spano, Juan Derry. Cut right away. Helen Slater. Five feet, eight inches, 18 years old. Kate Capshaw. Is that nice? I'm five, seven, and a hint. <laughs> My name's Adam Baldwin. What's your age range? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm 19, 20 in February. I'd say 20, 21 to 30. What do you think? Literally everyone. And Coppola would say... Okay, Tom Cruise, Swayze, see Thomas Howell. You guys do that scene. And so they would do it. And everybody, but everybody else was standing around watching. Right. And everybody else was like everybody who was right. working in the business. Right. So Anthony Michael Hall is standing there. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. All standing around. We're watching each other. Watching each other Oof. do the scene that they're going to go do. That's crazy, wow. right? Yes. Yes. Very crazy. Probably only effectual with young people and mm. only... You know, like I trust. Why well, I mean out of competitiveness or out of out of not, not knowing any better? B. <laughs> <laughs> but because but, if, why? If you're an adult, what do you think the difference would be? Oh, you because just, you do just it more, or you'd be more. You're just more neurotic and, and more self-consumed. And I mean, and it's just feel it might feel unfair and strange and weird. And who knows? Mm. But part of that, that documentary, the actors, at least ones who got cast, say it started to create a brotherhood. Right. But but not but they didn't mean just with the ones who got cast. That right. By the end of the day, like so, you know, mm-hmm. C. Thomas was friends with Al Kilmer. Sure. It, 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 it was it ended up being a positive experience. But I think that Coppola has a big soft side to him. Mm, yes. He's playing op- opera music. There's Italian food around. Yes. It's a fam. Yeah. Another director probably couldn't get it would be maybe a harsher experience. Mm-hmm. Tricky. Tricky either way. Yeah. And it's also coming at an interesting time in Coppola's life and career because he's only two films removed from Apocalypse Now. Jeez. And his <clears throat> famous flop, One from the Heart. Uh, Have you seen that? No. Terry Gar. No. Frederick Forrest, Raul Julia. Have not. It's. I think it's the first Zoetrope Studios production, which was Coppola's, you know, attempt to set something up like has happened historically throughout Hollywood where it's like, wouldn't it be great if we made movies like this? Right. Academy Award winner Francis Ford Coppola and Zoetrope Studios take a very special look at love. One from the heart. It's been five years since my last dream came true. Okay, what was that? The day I met Hank. I wish I had a dollar for each time I took a chance. I really love her. I know that. On all those two bit Romeos who counted Roma. Maggie, do you believe in true love? Knowing that you fall in love. I love you, baby. Mm, I love you. Baby, this one's for And, of course, 
uh, it it had cost overruns and <laughs> one from the heart is kind of fascinating because it's literally everything was a set. So like there's an airport scene like they built an airport including like getting the nose cone of an actual jet. Well, everything was lit and everything was 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 built in such a heightened kind of way. It's a musical. Is there anything good about it? Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's kind of a fascinating mess. It's definitely yeah. worth watching. They have a documentary that's been made about sort of not sort of so much what went wrong. It was a it ambitious was attempt huh? yeah. to do something that didn't really work. So it's the lesson. If you're a young, great Ita- Italian-American director just chilling the musicals, whether it's New York, New York, and the other- I think musicals have a long and complicated history of, of blowing up many a director's <laughs> career. Right, right. But so, so Coppola sort of was having all of these financial problems. So he said like basically everything he made from kind of like Cotton Club to Rainmaker, so sort of 84 to 97 – was all essentially done to try and dig himself out of the financial hole that he got into with Zoetrope Studios. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? Being considered one of the world's best yeah. filmmakers and you're not financially salient all that time? Well, it's probably a lot more common than you think. Jeez. And the good news is it gives a reason for Godfather 3 to exist. Mm. So even oh, if I'll God- co- I will come and do another one. You're not going to defend Godfather 3. I certainly will. Peter. I certainly Peter, will. Come I certainly now. will. Come now. I there is no will. defense to that. It's the same issue with with oh before the God. devil knows you're, if, you, if you saw before the devil knows you're dead <laughs> without knowing it was Lumet, you would think it was a better movie. Wait, 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 wait. Well, first of all, no, 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 that, no. <laughs> this is good. No, no. The brow is furrowed. The brow is no. furrowed. So let's not let's not compare apples to oranges here. Okay, Godfather One, Godfather Two. They stand not, on their own, they do as and I'm not saying it counts as a. Let me just go back. To that. I'm not saying it counts as a Godfather movie. Okay, I'm just saying as a as a movie by itself. Okay, it's not a bad movie. Hmm. It's not a good Godfather movie, and it it I would say it, it doesn't b- count in the Godfather canon, but. As well, a movie that has, does. Uh, well, you, you, you'd like to, you'd like to separate it out in a way that you can't. I mean, that's like you know, it's a bad movie, Peter. It's bad. Hmm. Yeah, it's not a good. It's it's certainly not a fitting end to the first two. It doesn't it doesn't rise to that level. And no, how could not. it? No, it does not. Yeah, it's true. Um, I don't know how we got on to the Godfather three. Oh, because I was telling you about how because uh, the people one, like an argument, Jason. No, because one from the heart oh, right, uh, right, right, right. caused so much difficulty and trouble. Right. What Coppola? So the origin story of the making of the Outsiders is kind of amazing because there are two incredible aspects to this, which I've never heard before in, this will be, I think, our 70th movie on the podcast. I've never heard this before. Mazel, mazel. The movie exists because a teacher yes. wrote a letter. Yes. Which is incredible. Yes. A teacher in, I think, Fresno, California, That's right. was having a hard time getting her kids to read, but she said, when they do read, this is the book they read. They're all obsessed with this book. You right. should make a movie of this book. That's right. And she sent the letter not to Coppola's Napa zoetrope location where a woman who worked for him said they received so much mail all the time that it never would have been opened and and passed along but she sent it to his new york office where he happened to open and read this whoa and it was signed by something like 30 school children all in they they show it in the documentary these adorable little signatures and this typed letter saying we love this book we think it makes a great movie and we think you should Take a look at it because he had done an adaptation of another young adult novel previous to this. He did. Black Stallion, 1979. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, Black Stallion. That's right. 
Is Black Stallion different than Black Beauty? Or are they both in the same? I think it's the Black Black Stallion. Stallion. That's a different thing than Black Beauty. I think it's different. But which mm. one's Coppola? Black Stallion. Yeah, that sounds right. I've I've heard Coppola say that he has a policy, or at least he had a policy, of never turning down a request from a child if he can at all. You, you know this part of it? Th- that's correct. Unbelievable. So that's he, correct. He's like, I guess I better read the book and see what I think. And they did it. Well, he was in Hollywood, so he had his producing partner read the book. Fair. Like, you know, fair. He's got things to do, but yeah, he read. <laughs> so his producing partner read the book and said, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And I think at that point in his life, he said, you know what? The idea of getting away from Hollywood and all the bullshit he was dealing with and sort of jumping into this world in Tulsa, Oklahoma with all these teenagers and kind of that, like you're saying, that artistic thing. And when you look at some of the behind the scenes footage, which is incredible because he shot the entire movie on early VHS for two to three weeks before they ever actually filmed the movie. Rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. Rehearsal, rehearsal. And so in the making of Doc, you can see all this VHS footage of a lot of the scenes that you've come to know. Wow. And he also had a Airstream trailer outfitted with an edit suite so that it could be on location and they could start to like look at the VHS things and start to edit the film. He also put the Soch kids yes. in a nice hotel and had the greasers who were the stars of the movie in like some schlocky joint and sep- kept them separated. Well, they were in the same hotel, but they were on, okay. the Soches were on a higher floor and the greasers were on the fourth floor. The, did, you, did you see the C. Thomas Howell anecdote about the sports thing? Because that was another thing that they did to sort of uh, inculcate this Soches versus the greasers thing. So... C. Thomas Howell tells this amazing story of getting to his hotel room, getting set up, and somebody knocking on the door and gives him a pair of gray sweatpants and a T-shirt that says greasers on it and a plastic-bound copy of the script that has his name on it. And he thought, wow, this is great. (laughs) I've arrived. (laughs) He goes to the soccer match. The Soches get out of a bus. Beautiful full button like track suits right <laughs> leather sponsor. leather sneakers he had gotten like a pair of canvas converse sponsored by these yeah, right. you know right, right. and he saw that they all had leather bound scripts right and they're like those motherfuckers he tells her he's like we beat the shit out of them that day it's so good do you think the class issue did that resonate with you when you saw it it had to have I was going to make fun of myself the Scotch Plains in Jersey where I'm from we had a north side and a south side you did yeah we did uh, more of the uh, we had more multiculturalism in the north side which was more blue collar okay not as nowhere near as extreme as the movie but sure. we did pride ourselves for sure like the middle school in the south side they were all preppy their parents had Mercedes mm-hmm. and, and all that and we had you know and you guys were good at sports we, they, were good, they were good at sports too, but but we had the that one on one we had the restaurant blow up where the mother where the mother and the son were on a plane to Sicily at two a.m. What type of stuff? Oh yeah, what are you talking about? Well, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're talking about some family other business. Co- other Coppola type stuff. A different type of family business. Right, 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 right. So, oh, so okay. there was that feeling mm. for sure. And and even if just so playing like traveling soccer, the kids from the South Side, you just tell they just they had more. Right. Okay. South Side was wealthy. The North Side was more blue collar. Okay. And so there, yeah, there was that point of pride. So mm-hmm. of uh, being from the rougher, sure. quote unquote, rougher. We were fine. The rough streets of <laughs> Scotch Plains. Yeah, right. We were fine, but you know, we we had. You know, we had kids and food, you know, getting food stamps and right. we had some, you know, some some edgier spots. But so there was a little bit of that identification. Yeah, I think I remember now you're so or at least I was so self-conscious at the time of placing yourself in the hierarchy of your school and who has what and where right. do you fall. And, right. And I think a movie like this, when you see it and you're 13 years old or whatever, it taps into that 
that thing that as you get older, you're sort of, it's not that it's less of a pressure or less of a stress or any less difficult to kind of live, but you learn sort of either to cope with it or to put it in perspective or right. not have that define you in the way that it feels right. like it defines well, you at that age. Well, the powerlessness of that version of the panic when it when people who are older, you are supposed to be taking care of it versus right. when you're an adult and you're like, well, at least, you know. Whether at least I, you have agency. Right. Uh, but you still carry that. I mean, knowing you a little bit over the years, you still have a little bit of the blue collar chip on your shoulder. For sure. Since I started late and didn't go to Juilliard and didn't go to mm. even an undergrad, uh, I went to I a business degree. Sure. It's Notre Dame. You went to Notre Dame. Yeah. Fighting Irish. So the, my chip is pr probably Training. an outsider, if, if I may, probably an outsider-y view that I didn't come up in theater and I didn't had to you know I didn't have a network and that sort of that sort of thing and, and well, it was easy know, to get there being from a, a you know Irish immigrant type it, family. It's funny that you say that because if you look at this movie, none of these kids at the time they're making the outsiders are coming up in any traditional way. None, nobody Fair. went to Juilliard here. True. Thank you. Um, True. And it, maybe it's different now where there's more. People take it more seriously, so an industry has has maybe sprung up a little bit more about training actors and then lot, feeding them into a lot more fucking actors. Yeah, a lot more actors. Right, and also when you look at the auditions and a lot more talented. I'm like, so, there's I mean, a lot of anywhere near the level I've gotten to. Mm -hmm. Everyone's fucking talented. Yeah, that's everyone's the thing too. Talented. When you're looking at the actors reading for this, who were pretty well known, they're, and some who had big TV, like Glenn Scarpelli. Yeah, I like saw, right. This kid was working. You know, it's like almost he's like the second lead on a huge sitcom. Yeah. But none of them were, none of them had, like, some of them had star power. This, this made a lot of careers, that's for sure. This, this it made a lot of careers. a ton of careers. It made a lot of careers. Yeah. So it's interesting when you look at it that now you say, you know, the training aspect of it or all that, which is like, yes, does I don't anybody mean, give a shit about that? I don't other mean, than whether you're good or not. On camera, they don't, but start getting a career going, getting a good agent, mm. being known, at least in New York. Sure. It's more of a New York thing. Right. Well, a lot of times in the movies that we've done that have tremendous results, Moonstruck comes to mind. Wow. This movie comes to mind. 12 Angry Men as well. These are films where these directors had rehearsal time. Both Ralph Macchio and Swayze said, man, you ruined us. Like we kept waiting in our career, our young careers, for a director to treat us the same way. And it never happened ever. Like, let's get everyone together. Let's run through the script. Let's do the whole movie a couple of times, which is what they did on Moonstruck. Right. Moonstruck, Shan, they, they Shanley. Who directed Moonstruck? Jewison? Uh, Norman Jewison. Yeah. And they treated it like a play, yeah. and they did the rehearsal, and then the opening right. night was the filming. Right. And the timing in that movie, when you go back and look at it, which is almost so unbelievable as to not even be visible, yep. you have to watch it for this. Yep. And when you watch it for this, especially in the late dinner sequence where everybody comes back, it's insane. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like... Mm -hmm. It's math at the highest level, mm -hmm. comedy math at the highest level. And the only way that's possible they earned is the by family. that process. They earned the family. Speaking yeah. of acting, let's look at some acting. All right. Let's play another clip here. Cool. This is one of the more famous clips from the movie. And one of the more, I guess, indelible is the word. Memorable, mm. unforgettable. Once you see this image, you will instantly go, ah. Golly, that was sure pretty, huh? Yeah. It's like the mist is what's pretty, you know? All gold and silver. Mm-hmm. Too bad it can't stay like that all the time. Nothing gold can stay. Huh? Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. 
her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down today. Nothing gold can stay. Where'd you learn that? That's what I meant. Robert Frost wrote it. I always remembered it because I never quite knew what he meant by it. I never noticed colors and clouds and stuff that you kept reminding me about. It's kind of like you were never there before. Yeah. I don't think I could ever tell Steve or Tubit or even Derry about the clouds and sunset. Just you and Soda Pop. Maybe Cherry Valance. Guess we're different, huh? Shoot, yeah. Maybe they are. It's great. He's so good, by the he's way. He's amazing. He's he tells us how it carries the whole movie. so good. The whole movie's on this kid's shoulders. 100%. 100%. It's amazing. amazing. It's amazing. I didn't really realize that because you think of all these other big names no, in the but movie. but it's him. He's never seen It's him. him. He's never seen him. And he has to have, uh, some people in the making of talk about his gravitas at this age. Incredible. He has that in him. He has the, the weight and the import. Like, he's the character I gravitate to. Yeah. It's light and he carries it lightly. There's he no lightly, push. But he's just no. there. He's, he's there. really good. Gosh. This scene is amazing because I learned something. The cinematographer, I think, or the editor was talking about. If you want to film a scene that takes place at sunset, guess what? You can't in the basis of <laughs> it's, it's changing the, the coverage. <laughs> yeah, things are changing. So you're going to do it again. You missed it. So the way they did this yeah. rather long scene set at sunset in this beautiful, right. crazy uh, Panavision image imagery that they use. The whole film is shot in Panavision. So for this, they used a technique where they filmed that backdrop, they filmed that sunset, and then this scene is actually taking place inside a large soundstage with a huge screen set up in front of them on which that sunset is projected, and then they are filmed against that backdrop. Is, that's different from green screen. They're, they're, it's not a green screen. They're projecting the thing they already shot live. Correct. And so the boys yeah. see that. That's yes. part of their experience. Correct. Oh, that's cool. Is there a name for that exact thing? That's See, that's Coppola. Come on. Yeah, I don't so know if kind. for it. Uh, I think it's called standing in front of a giant projector. <laughs> cool. There is but another one I learned. That's that's a Gone with the Wind scene. It there. is. That's it's totally Gone with the Wind. That's why when you said Gone music. with the Wind for teens, like, you get it. And they read Gone with the Wind in the movie. And they read Gone with the Wind in the movie. Uh, there is a technique. I wish I wrote it down because it was a funny... It was a funny thing. Remember when they're in the church, the church is on fire. Oh, yeah. And the beam falls on Johnny. Oh, yeah. Obviously, you can't have a flaming beam fall yeah. on Ralph Macchio. Right. So there's not, a... Not the Karate Kid. Don't do that. Not the Karate Kid. <clears throat> there's a technique. It's called like Pinocchio's Mirror or something. And it basically involves a 45-degree sheet of glass upon which you, you project the falling timber... And the camera is shooting through the glass at Machio, who's somewhere else. And they basically match a timber that fell on him that wasn't going to kill him with the flaming timber that's being projected onto the glass. And it looks like it hits him, but it's... In real time they do that? In real time they do this. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they would do this now because you would just use a digital effect. Right. You know, as great as the teacher, the male teacher at the fire and then in the hospital. Yes. He's like, he, the, the, the woman teacher is like, he's like, oh, there's kids in there. He's like, no, there aren't. Gary, Gary, some of the children are missing. No, they're not. Gary. No, you listen. I'm sure. Children. Children.
first of all, what the hell kind of field trip is this? Yeah, right. Let's go. See Let's the, go to the old abandoned <laughs> church with rats crawling around. And they, I don't understand who's I taking know. these these four and five year olds on this field trip. I know. There's a couple it's, strange it's choices, but you know, we haven't even mentioned yet. Shame on us, Jason. This book mm. was oh. written. Oh my God! By a 16 year old girl. Yes. They changed or used initials mm -hmm. so they could sell the book back yes. in the day by a 16-year-old girl based on some of her experiences growing up in a situation like this. Yes. And as you said before, this book is a part of the American it youth is. canon. My, when my nephews, my nephews both read it in school, yeah. all, all three of them rather. Yeah. And I was like, all right, kid, when, yes. when are you done? Let's watch a movie. You know, but I just love it. I love that a, that someone that young and, and female wrote this. It's crazy. I'm awesome. I actually posted on Instagram that we were doing this today and one of my previous guests uh, Becca, because I had said something like, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you read these books. You read Essie Hinton's books, and they were right. part of your life, and you probably saw this movie. And she said, fish and her kids now just went through yes. a phase where they read all the Essie Hinton books. Yes. And that scene, I think, is why. Because what she was so brilliantly able to do is, probably because she was a woman, she's able to write these male characters mm -hmm. both having difficulty yet expressing themselves mm -hmm. in a way that is truthful. It's not put upon, like, we felt like this. We had thoughts and feelings. Ralph Macchio's character, Johnny, says, that's how I felt, but I never knew how to say it, mm -hmm. right? That's such a that's such a boy thing. Mm -hmm. I've got these feelings, but I either haven't been taught how to express them. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't been allowed to express them. I haven't been them. allowed to express them. And because I think it comes from a female author, she took the inner life of boys quite seriously and mm -hmm. put it in these characters in ways that feel very realistic and I guess timeless because it's sold like 14 million books. Mm -hmm. And it, I, this says on Wikipedia, I, I don't know if this is true, that, it, that this book still sells more than 500,000 copies a year. I love it. <laughs> Which is crazy. I love it. So yeah, she was 16 years old, 15 and 16 years old. Susan Hinton published under the name Essie Hinton so that people would think it was a man. Yep. Which is crazy. And mm -hmm. she's pretty funny about the experience of working on the movie. Um, did you see the anecdote about seeing Coppola for the first time? Her? No. At the rehearsals? No. It's really funny. She uh, So she's showing up and she's so super nervous yeah. uh, because it's Francis Ford Coppola, right. like the Godfather. And, right. you know, Apocalypse. All these things. So she sees him and the first thing she says is, you know, I have a real problem with you making this movie. Francis being Francis is kind of like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Let's let's get to the body. You know, let's let's let's, 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 let's work this out. Want a sandwich? Yeah. She says, well, you know, with The Godfather and Black Stallion, you both made movies that were better than the book, and so are you going to do that to me? Oh my gosh! And he, he realized she was kidding, oh. and then they became fast friends. Nice. Um, and she was very involved, which I think is also to Francis's credit. Like he didn't just. Grab the source material and like, thank you, writer. Please get away so I can do what I want to do. Right. Um, he had the smarts to be faithful to it. Collaborative. You know? Um, and I think, and she says, she's like, whatever it says on the movie, I wrote the screenplay with Francis. Like, wow. Together there on the set. Wow. So it's pretty cool. She's a funny character. As you mentioned, also some alternative, alternative casting. Put that one back. Among the people that were seen for Cherry... Kate Capshaw and Helen Slater. Remember Helen Slater of the, this is before your time. Helen Slater was like the it blonde girl of her era in Hollywood. She was okay. in a bunch of Michael J. Fox movies. Okay. I think she was in Secret to My Success. Okay. Kate, Kate Capshaw obviously went on to marry Steven Spielberg. Right. 
Anthony Michael Hall yeah. for Pony Boy. You saw a little of his audition. I did. Yeah. You, you know, did, not right. All they show is him trying to read the Robert Frost poem, <laughs> Cold. Nature's first green is gold. Her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaves of flower. But only so an hour. That's all they show. So, you know, it's, yes. it's, yeah. he probably did some good stuff later. Uh, Glenn Scarpelli for Pony Boy. Yeah. He, he could have done it. Or he could have been John. He, to me, he's more he's closer more to Machio than, uh, than He's a, more Machio. Yeah. 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 Uh, Vincent Spano for Matt Dillon's character. Yeah. Adam Baldwin, a big Adam Baldwin fan. Me too. Is Adam Baldwin in My Bodyguard? Yes. Oh. Showing off, showing off, you know, like a goddamn fool. He said, let me hold it. And I said, no, no, you're not allowed to. And he got mad. He grabbed it and it fired. My God, I was laughing. I was laughing when it went off. Blood gushed out of the side of his head and he didn't even know it. You know what he was worried about? He was afraid when dad got home, he'd get spanked. Last thing he said to me, he said, you're gonna have to take the blame for this one. I couldn't even do that right. I lied, I put the gun in his hand, and I said I found him that way. I've wanted to do My Bodyguard on the podcast for a long time. Wow. Yeah, it's Chris Makepeace, Matt Dillon, and Adam Baldwin as Linderman is so, so good. good. That's one of the great American film performances. So good. The Green, right? the green Army Jacket, man. Oh, oh, love that movie. So good. That is a great movie. Tony Bill. Darren Dalton read for Dallas, but he plays the Soch in the movie who... He plays the, the bridge building the Soch. Right. Sherry is the kind of diplomat saying, mm -hmm. hey, they're not going to have chains and knives. Yes. And he's the one who said, after the, the Soches are killed, he says, hey, can I talk? Let me talk to you in the yeah. car. You couldn't tell this to anyone else. My friends, I think I was off my rocker or something. You know, that, that friend of yours, the one that got burned, he might die. Yeah. Tonight, people get hurt in rooms, maybe even killed, right? You can't win. You know that, don't you? It doesn't matter if you whip us, you'll still be where you were before, at the bottom. And we'll still be the lucky ones at the top with all the breaks. It doesn't matter. The greasers will still be greasers, and socials will still be socials. It doesn't matter. Anyway, thanks, Grease. Hey, I didn't mean that. I meant thanks, kid. Been nice talking to you, Randy. My name's Pony Boy. And he becomes the poet. He opens up and shows his soft side and says, you know, this doesn't matter who wins this rumble. You guys are still going to be at the mm -hmm. bottom. Nothing's going to fucking change. Yep. It's a really great scene. As you mentioned, hey, with Estevez, sorry, with Estevez busting balls yes. on the side. Check out their pants. <laughs> <laughs> Just was waiting for a flood. <laughs> 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 
No, I hear they stamp your, uh, your face into gorilla cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Look at the pants! He was great. He was so really good. good. So good. And it's crazy to think that Coppola, I think, cast him because when he was making Apocalypse Now, obviously, uh, the kids were running around the set in the Philippines. Maybe he felt like he owed the family something if they're giving his father a heart attack. <laughs> He's like, yeah, let me start your, let me jumpstart your kid's film career. <laughs> yeah. Val Kilmer, as you mentioned, well, I think was going to be in the movie, but was doing a play. Wow. And if he, if he went forward with the movie, he would have had to pull out of the play, which I think Sean Penn was in too. Whoa. And they tell the story that had he pulled out of the play, the whole thing would have collapsed. The play would the play would Yeah, and like people would have lost their jobs and all this kind of stuff. So he stayed with oh. the play as opposed to being in this. And then I think went on and did Real Genius, I think, right after this, which is another great movie. Uh, Scott Bayo, strange. Mm -hmm. Dennis Quaid. Scott Bayo's strange because we know him as Charles in charge, but if Scott Bayo would have played Johnny, you never know. Yeah, but the, who knows? But who in this knows? era, it would have been so weird. It's like seeing Glenn Scarpelli. It was. Be, it would have been so undone to have these TV oh, he actors. Had, sorry, he had already chachied. He had chachied. Well, yeah, yeah, eighties. Yeah, 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 fair, yeah. Fair, 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 fair. Yeah, you wouldn't want that. In wouldn't fact, be. He might have already been in full Joni loves chachi mode. That would have been distracting, maybe. Yeah, and now he's a Trump supporter, so it fits. Is he? Oh yeah, as he's a huge Trump. As guy. is Mr. Mamet. Is would, he? He's a, he's, he's a right. He's, he's he pretty right, right wing. I don't know if he's a Trump supporter, but he's a Republican. Mm, well, maybe he should have been a little more open to different acting styles, and he would have been less. He's a Republican in a beret. <laughs> not a lot of those. Running <laughs> there aren't around, a lot Jason. of those. It's true. <laughs> not a lot there of, there a lot of, of those. those. Okay. Well, we have to play this clip too. Cool. This is the scene that leads up to the death of Bob, played by Leif Garrett, who I completely forgot was in this movie. And was arguably probably the biggest a, star amongst he, all of these kids. Was he like a singer, a pop star? What was yeah. his deal? Oh yeah. my God, he was huge in yeah. the 70s. A singer. And a child actor. He was he's good. Made, he's he good. was made for dancing. He's, he's pretty good. Drunk. He's, he, he was really? a good actor. He yeah. could have been a great actor. Did he die? No. Right. His career did, but... <clears throat> anyway, here's uh, Johnny and Pony Boy in the park. Uh-oh, look what's coming. This is our territory. Get there looking for us. What do you guys know? Oh, drunk. Uh, it's that guy with the rings, man. Aren't these the greasers who uh tried to pick up on our women? Hey, you're out of your territory now. You you guys better watch it. No, pal, you better watch it. You guys know what greases are? White trash with long, greasy hair. <laughs> you know what a soch is? What? White trash with mustangs and madness. And then it's on. And that results in Johnny killing Leif Garrett with a knife. Inciting incident. Yeah. You know what's great also about that? 
in this movie? Fear. Young boy fear, yeah. being afraid. Yeah. Johnny's terrified. That's in right. fact, he's having like post-traumatic stress over just the sight of the rings the, that beat him up and have, right. gave him the scars on his face. Right. He's reaching for his knife because it's that guy with the rings. Right. And there's a couple of scenes like that with Johnny. And yeah. Ponyboy feels deeply and is terrified and afraid yeah. and not a rumbler. No. And he know? knows Johnny's scared because he says, you know, stay cool. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. And they're kind of in it together. Yeah. And again, these are the things I think... I don't know if it's a thing or not, but I think at this age, it's kind of like you can have these male friendships that are so, so strong and bonded where it's kind of like the first time you tell someone everything right. that's going on in your life. Right. I right. think girls probably do that a lot earlier than we do. <laughs> probably. probably. <laughs> and, and, if, and if you get caught in trouble and something goes down, you are in no matter what. You right. will go as bad as it needs to get. Sure. You aren't going to abandon that person. You're right. In, you're in. Yes. Yeah. So that's just one of the great things. Okay, so when you watch this, it's Matt Dillon for you. Is that who you like? Matt and Johnny. And, and Matt and Johnny. Nacho, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, see, I thought you were going to. Yeah, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I thought, like, I thought in my mind, like, oh, he was already kind of wanted to be an actor. And it was like the Matt, Matt Dillon would have been a thing for you. He's a similarly kind of Irish looking guy. Oh, I appreciate you. Is he an Irish, Irish guy? An Irish guy could look like that. He's got an Irish name. <laughs> He's Irish, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess He's Irish so. American. His dad owned a bar somewhere around here. Really? Yeah. Yeah, either just Westchester. But you were not Long yet Island an actor, so that wasn't a thing. No, no. Um, I saw The Godfather when I was like fifteen, right? And had a I, I, there was a moment watching Michael think he wasn't even talking, mm. and I was transported, and I came out of it different. And I went home and said to my mom, "You know, I was studying the Renaissance. I was like, I, I want to think I know what I want to be when I grow up." And she said, well, I said well, Renaissance man. I said, "What does that mean?" I said, "If I could <laughs> act in one movie as good as this, but then I kept it. A, I still kept it like a mm. secret until." For a long time. Really? Took Interesting. an elective, a senior in college, took an acting class for the first time. And then even after then, it's still not until my mid-late 20s that I tried to, try to do it. It's funny you mentioned a scene like that in The Godfather because when you watch that now, Godfather 1, Godfather 2, so much of what Pacino does. It's so funny that he has such an outsized reputation for going so over the top subsequent to that and before that. Because in that movie, it's the stillness, the hoodedness of the eyes, the lack of verbosity yet all that stuff going on behind the eyes is what gives that character such lethal presence and power in the movie so mm -hmm. to be blown away by that at mm -hmm. that age is impressive because that's what they were after and it was not a obvious choice at the time mm -hmm. at that era of movies you're in kind of a new hollywood like everything is like we're talking like regular people we're getting it all out and to kind of I think famously the studio sort of saw like, well, he's not doing anything, Francis. What no. are you, he's just sitting there. Like, what is this guy doing? He's not, there's, there's, there's no action. No, they were going to fire him. <laughs> they're they're going to fire him. They were going to fire him. And they're like, and no, no, no. They didn't want him in the first place. They just, wanted Redford yeah. or Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's amazing. Maybe, yeah. maybe you get to, if you ever got to meet uh, Al Pacino, you could tell him that story. I was his driver for 10 years. You were? Yeah. I think I knew that. Yeah. You drove Pacino for 10 years. Yeah. I'll be <laughs> Yeah. Okay, yeah. wait. You I can, got stories, but you can we might have to wait. No, no I'm not going to ask you to tell out of school, <laughs> but I'm going to ask you to answer a question for me because a yeah. few years ago, I was in Santa Monica and I was leaving uh, Blue Plate, whatever, Blue Plate Oyster Bar on, on Santa Mon in sure. Santa Monica. Sure. And there was a beautiful Mercedes in the parking lot and the license plate said Pacino 1. Never. No? Never. You wouldn't do that? No. That's what I thought. Never. But who would do that? I guess some, in Hollywood, somebody would do some that wacko, to try and get attention. Some, some wacko. Yeah. No, he, he was amazing. Wait, 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 wait. Okay, hold up. I, I'm not going to ask you to tell any tales out of school, but for 10 years, you drove Al Pacino in New York City? I'll come back and do another episode when the time <laughs> is right. Uh, yeah, he, he 
only hires actors. Okay. So there's a, there's a crew of a couple of us. Okay. And um, how did he find you when he's in? L- uh, I mean, who knows? People are well, has to find you. I uh, another guy who drove for him came to me and was like, "Do you have a driver's license?" Another actor. I, I and you're like, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Do you want to drive for yeah, Al Pacino?" So you train, yeah, and you then, train, and, and you see, yeah, so much training. A like, time. no, don't do this, don't do, don't. Well, you get you to know, know his Al life. likes you a macchiato. To, yeah, you get to know his. That's right. You get to know his life and the place you're, you got to practice because once you do it the first time, it's you can imagine it's kind of intense. It's not a chauffeur job. He's in the front seat with you. And he's in the front seat and the radio's off and it's you know oh. what's he doing is he reading working man oh, he's working he works he's got a play under you know under mm. one leg he's got a script on the on the on the uh, dash Hold over here I want to get a coffee he's kind of like he's, that he is so sweet and funny are you talking is there talking when he, wa- when when he, he wants, wants to? to I mean later I felt much more comfortable to kind of tr- totally be myself and he's amazing I have nothing but great things to is say is there a understood division that you're not going to get work from this or is that part of the maybe you know that i don't think that's a great way to go into it uh thinking that you're going to i'll tell you a quick story well, come on this, of course you're going to think that well i'll tell you, you that. In your, this is peter this peter, is, peter peter in your mind you can't tell me one can that they, you didn't think one can i'm going to do this job and al pacino is going to cast me in his next movie one I'm going to be a movie star one can hope that's what i would think one can hope that something might come of it but but i thought well ever since this guy was famous he's had nothing but actors who aren't as successful at trying to get him to help them. And that's not going to be my MO. Of that's course. not what you do. That's also not right. the job. That's not and, part of the job. And, and he stopped auditioning after The Godfather. So like, sure. presumably he's so detached from whatever it is. Mm-hmm. This is a story I'll safely tell. Okay. He uh, had a friend who uh, was an actor. And one day he said to me in the car. An actor with a career? Um, or a, s- Somewhat. Yeah, okay. somewhat. And, and he said, um, uh, Peter, do you have an agent? <laughs> And I said, uh, at the, in the, this is a while ago. At the time, I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, Al, he's kind of rinky. They, they, it's not sure, not a great, but but yes." He said, "Oh, I see, I see. Do you think you could get my friend a meeting with your agent?" <laughs> That's the business. That's incredible. That's the business. Wait, is that because? He doesn't want to call and it's put that, that per- on. That person is, has no business. CAA is not going to take that person no matter who calls. Sure. It would just be a favor. They would be yes. in a drawer. This is the realities of it. Like, we yeah. look from the outside. Yeah, you think But it's that like it's, you, yeah. everyone has to go at the level they're at. I know. So that's all it is. But when people would ask, like, you're going to get into movies. Is Al going to help you? It's like, yeah. here's what you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> but that said, that said, yes. I got an audition because of Al for the, um, who's the um, uh, euthanasia movie? The HBO film he won oh, yes. for it. Uh, Kevorkian? Uh, Kevorkian. Mm. Um, and I got to go into Alan Chenoweth and mm-hmm. do this scene, a paraplegic who's like fighting off tears. So you couldn't throw a chair? I uh, couldn't. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Couldn't, couldn't throw a chair. I had no, to do sir. a callback. And, uh, and I had like, uh, like I had like a really good audition with Wait, Alan so you, you got this audition because of him. Yeah. He said you should go so again, read for this. Again, now you don't trouble you don't trouble course. the Pacino with these details. Yes. He has a guy who runs everything. Okay, and uh, presumably by that point he might he probably intimated, Don't hey, if I can help you, you know. So I said, hey, there's this role in this thing, and you he said made this a phone to the call guy to the guy who runs everything. Okay, run, and he made a call, and I got a thing, and uh, I didn't get the part, but it. But you got I, a look, and I've gone back to that office. Great. Over time, and that's what you really want. Wow. Right? So, yes. 
And, and I'll also say that he always wants to know if, when his actors are working. So he, when he'll get in the car, if you're in a play or you're doing something, mm-hmm. he'll purposely ask you about it. And when I got on this Irish Mafia uh, TV series, Public, public Ed, Morals. Ed Burns, yeah. yeah. Public, he was over the moon, Jason. Really? It was so sweet. He was over he took the an moon. interest in it. He took real interest. Did he, he watch wanted, it? He probably not, but he wanted to hear about it. Sure. He, he said, "This is big." And this, he was bolstering me, mm. and it was it was amazing. That's great. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What an experience. Yes, what an experience. So then, what I, 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 does this still happen? Do you think? Does who, that someone drives him around? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But you don't do this anymore. I don't do it anymore. Wow, amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. We read newspapers also, in the car. Also amazing uh, <laughs> newspapers. Huh? No. Like you wouldn't read the Post or the New York Times. He had scripts, plays, scripts and plays, and then you know he's always. I mean, to, it's yeah. it's hard to comprehend what it is to to be a person like that. Yes, there's so much on you at mm-hmm. all times. Uh, you know, um, crazy so, towering film career of epic proportions, and, and yeah, and just the yeah, it's it's a lot all the mm-hmm. time. So, um, uh, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Matt Dillon, do you know, Dillon. now if you know My Bodyguard, are you a fan of Over the Edge? I don't know that one. You don't know that? Uh, that's a teen angst movie uh, from the early 70s. I want to think it, it might even be one of Matt Damon's earlier, uh, Matt Damon, Matt Dillon's earlier roles. Uh, here's a little clip of him. Oh, cool. This is sort of like one of the first kind of like suburban ennui teen movies. Okay. It's sort of like all these kids end up moving to this kind of California planned community okay and like their parents are all strivers welcome to new granada where people come to escape city life it has safe streets clean air good schools it's a perfectly planned community but something strange is happening something that wasn't part of the plan. Seems to me like you all were in such a hopped up hurry to get out of the city that you turn your kids into exactly what you're trying to get away from. Something that could drive this town over the edge. You were to take these home to your parents is to let them know about a special emergency meeting to discuss the problems about your people. Kid who tells on another kid. It's a dead kid. I don't know how many of us are willing to admit just how deep in trouble some of the kids in the city are. Tension is rising. You people talk about these kids like they're a bunch of animals. Tempers are raging. Your son and some of his friends are part of this. My son and his friends are part of this town. Time is running out. And something's got to explode. They've got guns! Keep cool! I can assure you everything is under control. They were old enough to know better, but too young to care. And now this town is over the edge. Something terrible happened. Well, Richie gets shot dead while being chased by a cop. Again? Again. <laughs> That's kind typecast. of what, kind of what <laughs> Matt Dillon got typecast for for a little bit. Yeah, it's a great movie. Uh, All right. I highly recommend it. Okay. it. It's one of those movies that made like a real, uh, a real impression on me as a young child. Yeah. Why? I, just because it was like, that, again, it's this, it's this teenage ennui. It's this kind of like... 
you're not, a, nobody understands you. Your parents don't understand you. You know, you're sort of just in that, you're in between, you know, yeah. you're, you're 12, you're 13, you're 14. You're like, you're not, you're still a child. I don't know if it's the case with this movie, but it struck me this morning thinking about The Outsiders. You do not see a parent. There are no, no. parents in this movie. In not, fact, the only time you see him is a silhouette fighting through a window. Johnny's parents. It's true. Right. You're right. right. So it's a parentless universe we're in. And some that level. is true. Is and that I, the case here? Similar? Uh, I think it's similar, but I think they're there more as the, you know, kind of like the detached, the, the detached yeah. misunderstanding. Like right. we, you don't get what's going on with your kids kind of thing. Nourishless. But you're right. The, the parentless aspect of The Outsiders is a big thing about it. It's that like Lord of the Flies kind of like, you know, we're in a world unto ourselves. Yeah. Like the poverty of the, of the North side, mm -hmm. they're already, they have to act like adults and figure out the world on their own. Yes. And then, and then the presumed emotional detachment of, of the rich parents who are at the country club, mm -hmm. leave, leave the kids with the Mustangs to, 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 yes. to get drunk and, and go terrorize the poor kids. And there's actually a lot of impressively kind of layered stuff where the kids like, come home and they're sort of like standing out in front of the house and the parents are visibly fighting and yelling and screaming in silhouette. And it's not that they're unaffected by it, but they sort of have had to develop the coping mechanism. It's, it's it's not like, oh my God, that's happening. I have no idea what to do now. They're sort of like, oh boy, all right, let's go to the park for a while. It's normalized. Yeah. It's normalized. Yeah. yeah. I love that Pony says, he's like, I'm going to sleep here. And, and Pony Boy says, well, if you get cold, come to the house. I'm thinking, just, just, just take him to the house now. Take him to the house now. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they're men, they're boys. They're, it's like, right. only that's if you need it. That's fair. <laughs> um, so Matt Dillon got to play this because of all his, of all his things, is this the most well? Is this, is this the thing the he's the most well known for? Stupid Johnny, stupid Johnny. It's hard to express how big a thing Matt Dillon was. Like that was a thing that just was almost kind of like James Dean like, right? That's what the word in my head was James Dean. I mean, my God. Was it just his looks? Let me no, say this. Let's, let's have a Matt Dillon moment here. Let's do it. Now, I'm going to say this. We're two straight guys are going to geek out on Matt Dillon. Matt right Dillon now. has been in some movies that I really admire his performances. Mm -hmm. Yet, he's not someone, I, he's not someone I'm going to say is a great actor in the way... I appreciate like a Philip Seymour Hoffman right. in terms of versatility and emotion and the amount of like emotional depth, maybe that's presented. Maybe. But good Lord, can he do the thing he can do? Yes. It's like the Cary Grant line, right? That's like, well, you always play Cary Grant. It's like, yeah, you fucking try it. So that's what he does, right? He's, it's it's this. He's what this is. Iconically that. <laughs> what is the voice? It's like out of some whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just amazing to contemplate the career. And so quickly formed. Oh my He's God. 17. It was it was evident in my bodyguard. He was probably 15. Isn't there a movie? And before that, he's in Little Darling in 1980. One, which I haven't well, seen. Well, that's the same year as my bodyguard. Yeah. Over the Edge was his first film, the one I was just was showing it? you there where yeah. you're shooting a gun and the thing. Yeah. So that was 79. This is 83. So what did I say? He was 16 here? 15? He's 17 in The Outsiders. So he's 17. So 83 to 1979, however many yeah. years that is. And then, uh, you know, you ju I'm just so happy for an actor that has been somewhat pigeonholed or relegated to their to the thing they know that they can do. Yes. And then they get a shot. And for him th that he got what do you to think do the shot was the crash was the shot. He had an Oscar nomination. Didn't see it. Um, <laughs> hmm. Well, I missed that, too. But I think there's other stuff going on in 2004. I was just so happy for him because he got to to do something. Um, what about To Die For? He's incredible in To Die For. Oh, I haven't have seen, seen that. Is that like a satire with Nicole Kidman or oh something? Oh, my is that God. That yes. It's a Gus Van Zandt movie. Uh, Gus Joaquin Van Zandt. Joaquin Phoenix, Nicole do, Kidman, Matt Dillon. It's brilliant. He's really, really good in it. Gus Van Zandt could do no wrong. 
and then what about Drugstore Cowboy? Amazing. That's a that's a good one to point out because he carries he carries that. Oh, I think oh. that was the first time. I think that's the first time in his career where you were kind of like, oh. there's a real actor here. Yeah. After any kind of drug haul, everyone in the crew indulged. I laughed to myself as I pictured blues of Delata in such great amounts that the spoon would literally be overflowing. Upon entering my vein, the drug would start a warm itch that would surge along until the brain consumed it in a gentle explosion that began in the back of the neck and rose rapidly until I felt such pleasure that the whole world sympathized and took on a soft, lofty appeal. Everything was grand then. Your worst enemy wasn't so bad. The ants and the grass, they were just, you know, doing their thing. Everything took on the rosy hue of unlimited success. You could do no wrong. And as long as it lasted, life was beautiful. So before that, uh, so Over the Edge, Little Darlings, My Bodyguard, Liar's Moon, Tex, Outsiders, Rumblefish. Right. Flamingo Kid, I always loved. That's a good one where he's the cabana boy. You right. see that? No, but I know that's 1984. Then there's like a long stretch where they, like many actors like this, there's always a long stretch after the first launch where then they kind of don't really know what to do with you unless you just want to do the same thing over and over and over and over again, which right. to his credit, it seems like he didn't want to do. Well, I'm, what am I picturing him dragging a suitcase with a, a dead body in it and someone says to him in the lobby, what do you got, a dead body in there? You know, remember that movie? No, what was that in? Oh, geez. Well, uh, was it a comedy? No. No, I Albino think alligator. he may have killed his girlfriend or something really bad. Like was that, that a recent one? No. Hmm. I don't know that it's one. It's like 90s, mid-90s. Wait, here's another great, uh, another great one. Singles. Singles. Cliff. Oh, yes. That is one of the great yes. Matt Dillon Cliff, performances. Cliff, that's right. Cliff so, and Pearl Jam. Out? Yep, you. Yeah. That's a very nice hat you're wearing, and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Thanks. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. And so here's the thing with him that I think he's hilarious. Where I do, the comedy work hilarious. for me is insane. Hilarious. He's a brilliant comic actor. Yeah. Which something about Mary. Something about Mary. Yeah. Um, but it's so weird that like he's not someone whose technique on the drama side does it for me. Yet I would say like, oh my god, highest level, brilliant comedic actor. Because <laughs> usually. If, you're, if you can be funny, you can kind of do everything else, I always think. But maybe that's not the same thing. I don't know. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? I do. I, I know where you're going. Yeah, like, to be tricky. funny, you got to be good. You got to have great timing. You have to have intelligence. You have to have depth. Right. right. You have to be able to play things well, you, straight. You don't have to have depth to be great at comedy, per se, but but you usually, you usually do. Well, you can't have your head up your ass. 
you got to be in the world to be funny at comedy. And, and understand tone and all these things. You have to understand right. other people. Right, right, right. You could be Daniel Day-Lewis and insist that everyone carries you around in a wheelchair. Right. And we could argue whether or not that's acting. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But if you want to be funny. Yeah. So where are you? So, so you're saying on, on balance, you're, Matt Dillon is a good actor. Actually, he... he I'm going to, yeah, I'm not saying he's not a good actor because no one can have the career that he's no, had. No. But I will say that the performances of his that I love the most are the ones that have the comedy in them. Yeah. This for me in this is, is a curiosity performance. It's so stylized with his voice and his looks. It's him. I mean, that's why, it is that's why I look at it. He's 17. That's he's true. a 17-year-old kid. So you can't really be stylized at 17. You just are. Yeah. He's, he's doing his thing. He's doing and his, his thing, thing is that voice. Here's the thing. His, <laughs> his here's thing. the thing. His thing is, is really fucking cool. It is cool. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> and and yet, even at that young age, in my bodyguard, he's much punkier. He's much less powerful. Yes. He's, a, he's like a, a weaker bully type. It's a different flavor. True. In maybe the same world, because he's a quote-unquote tough guy, but it's a different flavor. Also, let, let me throw this out there. Does the industry let you, or would he let himself, were he smart, show the type of uh, range of emotion that might detract from the somewhat iconic image that's gotten you to the point you're at, particularly as a man, particularly as a tough, handsome man? I think Does that, that makes sense? Yes, it makes 100% sense. I think if, you're, if you look like Matt Dillon, and you have that voice at 15, 16, which, first of all, you no, going, no going back. <laughs> yeah, his voice is three octaves deeper than our voices Put together. at 15. Put together. Yeah. So if you have that look and you have that voice and someone points a camera at you, that is a star. Like, it yeah. doesn't matter. And in a That's different right. era of Hollywood, yeah. he would have been an iconic Western star. That's good. He would have been a Gary Cooper. Yeah. He would have been someone who kind of made hay without having to do all the emoting of new Hollywood. Yeah, it would have been right? someone taking, taking jobs from Leo's character. Yes. In, in the Tarantino movie. In the Tarantino sorry. movie, and Once Upon a Time on Hollywood. Yeah. Yes. That is a, that's it. So, but, like, when he's funny, he slays. He yeah. slays, yeah. which I wonder, I, here's, I have this theory, okay? This yeah. is, one of the things that bugs me about, about Matt Dillon is that he never just, like, settled down, got married, and had kids. I think that as an actor, it has limited him. Because essentially, oh, hasn't, hasn't he lived the life of an overgrown teenager for 50 years as I, a playboy? I don't know. I don't know Are much about I don't know much. I didn't know that much about yeah, it. He's, he's Mr. Single Guy forever. Is he's he? like dating here and there. Is he's, he? He, yeah, that's his and, thing. And had he... What is your theory? Had he settled down and had a family, you think the experience of being married and having kids opens you, deepens you, softens you? I do. Yeah. I do. I bet it does. I mean, I think it. I think that it places you in the world in a different way. Mm -hmm. And if I thought about this, mm -hmm. I bet you I could make an argument mm -hmm. that some of the actors, at least for me personally, the actors that I respond to, mm -hmm. this is why I'm a Brad guy, Less a Leo guy, although Leo blew me away in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nice. I was, I'm was i not usually a big fan of his for, I think, this reason. And it just happens to be so similar that he's also like a, a guy pushing 50 who, you know, has no children, has never sort of had, you know, a marriage or any of those things or a life partner. Right. But Brad, to me, that's what. That's what I, there's a, there's a door that's open in him that I can walk through. Not be, you're not saying that because you can personally relate to him. No. He can personally relate to you. You're saying there's an openness. There's a ceiling. 
is, is a it, feeling. Because of his experiences have deepened him. I think so. I think that as, as a parent, certainly, I probably put more weight on that, probably because as a parent myself. Right. But I think, yes. But, but, but so, that, so you're telling me because of that, like, one of my favorite Leo performances is The Departed. Mm-hmm. I was shocked and pissed that he didn't get that sure. Wahlberg got an Oscar nomination instead of him. Yeah, the, although look, Wahlberg was fucking hilarious. Look at in the that sense. Movie. It, yeah, but the writing uh, was yeah. the writing was hilarious. Yeah, the writing was. Hilarious. I like the original, but okay. With Japanese, yeah. Korean. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but look at how he's good. Don't get me wrong. He's good. Okay. I mean, believe me, okay. he should have gotten. He should. He deserved the nomination he got right. for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. I'm just saying that there's a certain. There's a remove, okay? There's a remove that I find. Okay. And I think one of the things that a lot of the actors that I find this with have in common is what I'm talking about. Okay. Now, there's a remove with Brad, too. Like, Brad is not, he's not, like, warm and huggy and just, like, throwing it all out there. He's very reserved. There's a, there's a thing with Brad that is that depth behind the eyes. And, and I think Brad has become a very good actor. He's become a very good craftsman. Whereas we did uh, some early... We did uh, Seven on the podcast, which is a phenomenal movie, but he's so young and he's still doing a lot of the ticky hand acting and he's relying on a lot of stuff that a young actor probably relies on. But I think as he's aged and maybe not uncoincidentally, as he got sober in the last couple of years and turned in really for me, what is his most soulful and accessible performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Uh, I haven't seen Ad Astra yet, but I hear that's also similarly a very open and accessible mm-hmm. role. And I think that's part of, we all have things that cause us to wall off, Fair. right? All and right. we all want to preserve something of ourselves. As an actor, I would imagine, I'm not an actor, so I don't know this. I just speculate on this from the safe sidelines and take pot shots at you who really <laughs> do put yourselves out there and make yourselves vulnerable. <laughs> but I think as an actor, the job is to put it out there. Mm-hmm. That's the job, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I've come to believe that if you as an actor have something that you're unresolved with yourself or you, you're not really willing to let people in in a certain way, that you're never going to really connect with your audiences. Wow. And I think when you have kids, you, 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 don't, have, you don't have personal time anymore. You don't have safe space to just be yourself and do this and do that. You're, right. Your time is not your own. Your life is not your own. And you love that. And you right. give yourself to it. Right. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have kids and you have to be in a heterosexual relationship in order to obtain these things or to be a successful actor in any way. But I do think with actors, I wonder if we did a study and we, we looked at, you know, who chose this lifestyle and who chose that lifestyle. I wonder if there's anything right. to it. All right. I don't know. Hmm. As I said, that's why I'm a Brad guy. Haven't really been a Leo guy to date because he's not a man yet. He, he's, he still feels like a boy, doesn't he? No. But I'm, but I'm also without wife and kids, so I just got to give you this one. Um, but but my, my, the litmus test would be if you could have a control experiment where you didn't know anything about his personal life, and then you looked at the work. That's true. How much you're projecting onto this? Uh, it's impossible to, prob- impossible to. No, it's not impossible. It's probably it's all of it. Difficult. Oh, I'm probably projecting all nice. onto it. There's that's probably nice. no. Uh, like Pacino's. Well, never, who are the guys? Pacino's never been married, but he's got kids. He's got kids. Yeah, he's got kids. You know, who are the guy, Who are your? Who who are the actors that are your people? 
the, the, the uh, same ones other people would say. De Niro, no. Pacino. So Pacino was the reason. I, was the reason I became an actor. Yes. Period. That experience. Oh, wait, I so wait, off. did you ever get to tell him that in the fucking car? So here, here's what happened. I ended up going to L.A. Uh, briefly and then staying. And then I got to do an Annie Baker play, West Coast mm-hmm. premiere of an Annie Baker play in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I dropped off an invitation to Mr. Coppola. And because I was thinking I was going to stay on the West Coast, I wouldn't be coming back to New York to drive. Okay. I wrote Al the letter okay. and said the thing. And yes. I don't think I said those exact words, but you maybe didn't say I did. you're the reason I became an actor I, because of this scene I, in The Godfather. I probably, oh gosh, I have a copy of it. You didn't I, photocopy it I think I said No, I, I have a copy of it. Okay, good. Um, you need I, that for the archives. I probably did say that in the letter. Yeah, I did. And then he wrote me a letter back. He did? Great. Yeah, yeah, it was sweet. And, um, and then I came back to New York and ended up driving this more. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, by the way, that whole goodbye letter thing. So I used to say uh, Pacino was the reason I became an actor. Yeah. And then once I started to try to become an actor and then Phil... Phil. Phil. Wow. Phil, okay. Phil was the, interesting. Phil Hoffman. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was hard. That, that was that was that was tough. I mean, he was. That's a whole other thing. That's not even like. It's kind of like with Joaquin. It's it makes me uncomfortable to watch sometimes because there is so much being given to it that it's phenomenal. Like I found the master really hard to watch for that reason alone, mostly for Joaquin's performance, which is phenomenal. But both of them. Again, Phil, like... Uh, he does it in The Joker, too, I think. He does it in The Joker, too. Oh, my God. But I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. Again, another brilliant comic actor. Moneyball? He is awesome. Phenomenal in awesome. that supporting That coach was role. pissed. That coach was pissed yes. about it. Yeah. Throwing fucking air balls in Milan Came Polly. Who, who, are you kidding? That he's, was hilarious. He's almost in a different movie in a funny yes. way. In, in Lebowski? In Lebowski. This is a study. As you can see, the various commendations, awards, citations, honorary degrees, mm. etc. Mm, very impressive. Oh, please feel free to inspect them. Mm. Oh, no, I'm not uh, really... Uh, oh, please, please. That is the key to the city of Pasadena, which Mr. Lebowski received two years ago in recognition of his various civic... Uh, oh, that's the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce Business Achiever Award, which is given, well, not necessarily given every year, hey, given only when there's a worthy is somebody. This, is this him with uh, Nancy? Yes, indeed. That is Mr. Lebowski with the First Lady, yes. Oh. Let's take him when Mrs. That's Reagan. Uh, Lebowski on the left there? Yeah, of course, Mr. Lebowski on the left. So he's a, uh, you know, a, a uh, handicapped uh, guy? <clears throat> Mr. Lebowski is disabled. Also, uh, Charlie Wilson's War. Awesome. Where he's awesome. Gus uh, Stavrokis or whatever awesome. his name is. He's so fucking funny in that movie and brilliant. Tell me to go fuck myself and I'm supposed to apologize. Yeah. You break my window. I'm supposed the to apologize. The Helsinki job was mine. The Helsinki job was not yours. If it was yours, you'd be in Helsinki. Alan Wolf stood in the Alan office. Wolf is no longer yeah, the director. It was on the Alan books. Wolf is no longer the director of European operations. He does not make those appointments I do. Promises were made. Not by me. I've been with the company for 24 years. I was posted in Greece for 15. Papandreou wins that election if I don't help the junta take him prisoner. I've advised and armed the Hellenic army. I've neutralized champions of communism. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish, which should come in handy here in Virginia, and I'm never ever sick at sea. So I want to know why I'm not going to be your Helsinki station chief. Your course. Excuse me. That's like he's definitely the best of his generation, hands down, right? Yeah, I don't know what the age, I mean, I don't know what the age gener- split it is, but it's him, it's him and Sean Penn, you know? Maybe Sean Penn must be older, must have been older. Maybe a little. I mean, let's see. Um, Leo Phil, died when, Phil died at 46. He'd be 52. Okay, so that's Brad, Leo. Leo's that's younger. That. Leo's 44. 
Leo's 44. Uh, okay. It's Brad. It's it's Phil. It's I think it's Sean Penn. Probably. Mm, yeah, Sean Penn's probably 56, I want to say. All right. That's a different, I don't know how we that's define generations. I'm okay. 50. Trust me, there's a big difference. <laughs> when you get there, you'll know, okay? Uh, it's fair. <laughs> I have to say Meryl Streep. I mean, come oh, on. Oh, of course. I, I think we all, uh, as guys, we sometimes forget to mention. I try uh, on the pod. Actually, I don't know if you do this. I've tried, I've learned on the podcast. I, I try to, I don't say actress anymore. If I can remember. In life, I, it, I go as far as to correct people. It's when kind they, of stupid. I correct, I, I correct, I correct people. Right? I correct men. I correct men. Yeah, everyone's an actor. I, I even like keep Meryl Streep at a distance as someone to be, uh, because the, to aspire to be, it's just not even fair to yourself. No. To look at someone who's that no. otherworldly. I got to meet her in my underwear. <laughs> In my underwear. Were you in a play in your underwear or you just happened to be in your underwear? (laughs) I was in a play and changing from costume into- Oh my God. And uh, And what, she was was backstage? She came backstage. Her daughter was the lead in the play. That was great. Well, I think this next scene will- Give you some oh, words more to live outsiders. by. More outsiders. Words to live by. Or are we doing family time? Where are you going? No, this Hold. is our last outsiders clip. Hey. Hey, Johnny. We beat the socials, man. We chased them right out of our neighborhood. Go on. It's useless. Huh? Fighting ain't no good. You know, the story in editorial is about you in the paper, you know, about you being a hero. We're all proud of you, buddy. It's gonna be all right. Holy boy. Stay gold, pony boy. And that sets off the tragic sequence of events, which would lead to Matt Damon being shot and killed a second time in a film in his young career. Yeah. Dylan Damon. What's the difference? Did I say Matt Damon again? He goes. Yeah. He goes through. <laughs> he goes through. He goes through three of the whatever five stages of grief. True. Just in that just show. There. Yeah. Uh, incredulity, denial, anger. But he misses out the crucial one. Producing visible tears. Oh, I'm just kidding. Gets away with it. Uh, similarly, in The Outsiders, which is. Coming out at a time, I mentioned Greece before because I think even though Greece is, I think, 78 or 77, it, it shares something with the outsiders, which is that it's coming of age at a time for people that grew up in the 50s. So that's kind of, even though The Outsiders is a 60s movie, it's, six, it's supposed to be 65, I think, in the film. Okay. But that culture, the greasers, like, the cars, feels like it's, the 50s. It's, it's 50s culture. It's, yeah. it's pre-hippie yeah. culture, right? And it's Tulsa in 65, which is probably more like 58. Exactly, yes. So another thing, and I wanted to mention this, after I watched the one that we all know, I saw that Coppola had re-released the film and again, in response to letters from children, had put in, put back in all these scenes that they had filmed that really made it much more faithful to the original book. And you can get this if you're looking for the movie. And if anyone listening is going to watch this again, please make sure you watch the complete novel version. That's what it's called. Bizarrely, it's called The Outsiders, The Complete Novel. Such a better movie. The 22 minutes of restored content has a completely different opening and ending, which the opening tells us so much more about who everyone is, and it sets up the war between the Greasers and the Soches through a really well-filmed kind of chase 
sequence where Pony Boy is being chased and attacked and beaten by the Soches. That's why he has the scar on his neck. Thank you. I always wonder okay. what that. Which Steve Thomas Howell always said. People yeah. always ask me like, "What the hell is that yes. thing on his neck?" Because yes. it's very distracting in the cut when you watch. You're like, uh-huh. "What is that?" Right. Well, that's because in the very opening scene that was cut from the film, they cut his neck with a knife. The wow. Soches do. So it has that. The other important thing is that he stripped out the orchestral soundtrack composed by his father. Again, he and his father were going for this Gone with the Wind for Teenagers. So it had this very stringy or, or, uh, orchestral score yes. throughout it. Yes. Which which did? The, the original. Yes. And they usually stripped that out. They stripped much of that out and replaced it with songs with, from the era. more Elvis and stuff. And it works so much better. Okay. Okay. Then it also restores a lot of Rob Lowe's character's stuff that was cut out of the movie. So there's a really important scene after Johnny dies where Ponyboy comes back home and gets into a fight and it's Rob and they run out from the home and they're all running, uh, chasing each other. That damn it, Ponyboy, she's gone out for football instead of trap. Where the hell you think you're going? I don't know, man. Just like sometimes I had to get out. It's like I'm a middleman in a tug of war or something between you guys. I don't know, I can't take sides. Pony boy? Jerry could put you in a boy's home. Worked his way through college. I'm telling you the truth, Pony. You don't want to be like me anyway. Because I'm happy working at a gas station. Never be happy doing something like that. Terry, you gotta stop yelling at him for every little thing that he does, man. I mean, he, he feels things differently than you. Bad enough having to listen to you. When you, when you start trying to get me to take sides, we're all we got left now. If we don't have each other, you end up like Dallas. And I don't mean dead either. I mean, I mean how he was before. So please, don't fight anymore. Right. We're a family. We're brothers. Right. We got it. We need each other to get through this. We only and have he, each other. And he's the one who bridges that. And then the very ending of the film makes so much more sense because uh, it goes back to Tommy Howell writing the letter. When I walked out of the cinema that day, I had only two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride. And it go and he play that scene again. Okay. So it, it ends where it begins. Wow. And I found it a much more cohesive, much better, much more character driven movie than the 93 minute version, yeah. which is was so vastly successful and so iconic right. even right. without those which is almost right. the weirdest thing i can think of like i'm trying to think of another movie where i saw kind of the restored or the director's one and you know usually they're not necessarily better they're just baggier or there's right. more of it and you're apocalypse you know apocalypse which he's done three times or whatever right but i, I really 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 was impressed by the longer version it's yeah. it's much more itself it's much more what it should be and, and to coppola's credit 
He's he's a guy who is able to look back and say, you know what, that orchestral score that my father did. Imagine having to cut out your dad's score. Yeah, <laughs> that's tough. That's a tough email. But he did that, and it plays so much better. Wow. It, it, it's really really interesting, and I think people should check it out if they're going to watch it. That's kidding. Okay, you got to run pretty soon, so let's go quickly through some of your latchkey TV choices. These are the okay. shows that meant something to you as a yeah. child. Yeah. Hello. I love your choices. I'm going to play the first one for you here. Oh, boy. This is such a great opening, maybe one of the great theme openings of all time. Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead, and he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. God, so good. Oh my God, what a great show. What was it about the Hulk? So here's what I need to share. Okay. My family would be mad. I just, I just have to say. So we would watch it Friday night yep. TV. I think it was like Muppet Show, Hulk, Dukes of Hazzard, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the Falcon Crest. Mm-hmm. And stuff. My mom or my dad would turn their head and say, Peter, the Hulk's coming on. And I would take off from the TV family room to the third floor attic where my brother and I shared a bedroom, uh-huh. changed my clothes into some pre-cut jean shorts oh, God. and an under you, you and had like the ripped short I think so oh. and an undershirt and I would come back down in time for the opening sequence where I would rip oh my god that's incredible I are there photos do the whole thing did they be, take a snap a Kodak Kodachrome be. snapshot probably there, at least as a Halloween costume I bet that is amazing Peter. yeah it was in, it was intense the, the, the connection to so this you really was, had a connection to David Banner big time wow big time the great Bill Bixby. Amazing. He was great. I tried to rewatch something a couple of years ago. I yeah. tried to go back in the ending sequence. is so fucking sad. I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. I don't want any part of this. So sad. He always has to leave. Oh, yeah, of course. And, you oh, know, yeah, it's a loneliness show. And the show. piano is so yeah. evocative. I was he like, can never oh, make a connection. Christ, no. Well, that's why the Hulk's a great Well, he character. can make connection. He can't keep he a can't connection. He can't sustain a connection. And all these lovely folks come into his life. I was like, yeah. oh, I can't touch this. Get away from me. Yeah, it's heavy, man. So good. So you'd watch that, and then this one would give you a little more uh, kind of lightness, I guess. This is also He's, one of the great, great themes. The I, Dukes? This is Dukes. Is it Skinnerd? It's not Skinnerd. It's Waylon fucking Jennings. Oh, I apologize. Come on, man. I apologize. Skinnerd. <laughs> yeah. Just you know, back when the Confederacy we didn't, we, played for laughs. We, <laughs> we didn't know. We really, we really, we didn't, really know. didn't know. We just thought they were a couple good old boys. We didn't know. We really didn't know. I didn't, at least at our age, we didn't know. Maybe the adults knew. Consciousness was low, people. I think consciousness, consciousness was, was low across the board. This is the Reagan 80s, I'm sorry yeah. to say. Yeah. There she is. Barb- Catherine Bach, not Barbara Bach. Why was this show so good and such a thing? 
You know, was it just different? So entertaining. It was entertaining. And, and you know, what I thought about thinking about this. Uh, is it just like the hillbilly? No one ever gets hurt, and nothing, nothing yeah. bad ever happens. Yeah. Like it always gets. It's not like you have like a child. The good sex guys ring that they're breaking up or anything. <laughs> you know, it's just all like, who's bringing the moonshine? Cross state lines. Good guys win every time. Yeah, good guys win. Um, well, the good white guys win. And stunts too. Fair. There were some stunts. And also, didn't Waylon, beyond the balladeer part, did Waylon like do a little thing for each each episode? I like to think that he there was like a little yeah, like, like a, when he went like, to commercial, the boys will be back yeah, in a minute boy, after yeah, they clean like, their jeans. Yeah, like I, I, they're I don't gonna, know, they're gonna wash. He's credited as the balladeer. I think he has to do he, more. He, he would talk you into commercial. Remember? I think well, so. Come on back because uh, Daisy's yeah. gonna show us. Do her you think they got him to record all this shit over the years? I'm sure, they paid was on the air. Sure, they paid him. Wow. Oh man! And then so, here, here, can I just real yeah, quick? Please so tell me. Here's the family anecdote on this one. Yes, um, and unbelievably consistent. Somehow, once Boss Hog came on an episode, mm-hmm. if you peered over at my dad, he will have fallen asleep. Boss Hog put my dad to sleep. <laughs> that was the time. Well, For maybe it was reason. just the time of night. It wasn't boss. It hot. was, it was but probably it was like bu- nine twenty, nine thirty. That's fair. when I go to sleep now. Yes, but <laughs> the first ten minutes, he's awake. He's awake. Second segment, boss hog. Boss. Oh, is dad asleep? Yep. Well, probably Catherine Bach. You know, yeah, he stayed awake for that. You know, fair. <laughs> okay, so was that a family-wide show? Yeah, was, this was Friday night. Just the, Friday the night. The Muppet Show, Incredible Hulk, and the and the Dukes, and then the kids had to go to bed, and I believe Dallas came on then, and maybe we get see maybe the first Falcon few, Crest, and then Falcon Crest. That was later. You know, the Muppet Show was such a. I remember watching this with my mom. You do because you could. This was just a classic show where there's something for everybody, you know? Like, it was witty. It was well done. They had great guest stars. Is there a word for jokes that hit, that adults get that yeah. kids are over the kids' heads? Yeah, I mean, it's like high-low comedy, you know? There's you there's jokes pitched for the kids, and then there's another meta level going on for the parents. Is it Waldorf and Drake? The two old the guys? hotel named... Uh, Statler and Waldorf. Thank you. Yeah, right there. Come here. I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. <laughs> Animal. I became a drummer, so that that might have had something to do. Yeah, I think me too. I think I was influenced by Animal. And also Kermit. I mean, Kermit. I think as a boy, Kermit was like one of those things that also made you feel that it was okay to express and have emotions. Nice for me. Like, kind of like um, this is before your time, but. Free to be you and me. I don't know. That was an album in the seventies. that was all about like it's okay to express your feelings as a child. It was a very kind of post hippie thing. Like Rosie Greer, the big tough football player, had a song on there. Nice. Uh, it's all right to cry. Nice. Crying gets the sad out of you. Nice. These are all things that our parents are, are, are what our woke parents of the seventies. Right. Were, were were trying to raise kids who were in touch with themselves and their feelings. And I think Kermit was such a emotional being yeah and 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 male-ish like he's a male <laughs> right definably a male but right. but he was sensitive you know yes. he was kind of um had he com- was like johnny he was like pony boy he, right. he, he, he had feelings and expressed them and and his feelings would be hurt and he would have yeah. different sorts of fears and emotions he was aware of everyone else where they were at he had a yes. con- he had a conscience yeah he didn't judge he didn't come down anybody yeah he, that's the, one of the brilliant things i think about that was going on with the muppet show was yeah. there's attention paid to stuff like that that's and, and then the thing pretty deep the, the, right and then the thing about the child psyche that you know the way that cartoon characters or characters like this wh- whatever that access is in a kid mm-hmm. and then to have sylvester stallone himself come on and interact it's yes. like wait no these two they're both real yep that connects. It's not mm-hmm. like I'm in some kid 
kid world. No, no, no. This is, mm -hmm. it's all melding into. Yes. Yeah. Hey, tremendously influential and important show. Yes. So that's it. You've completed your first appearance. I had so much fun today. So thank you so much for coming in. I appreciate thank it. Thank you too.